Blog Talk Radio. Well, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. So blessed to produce this one out of Seattle, Washington. Sustaining Above Crowd podcast, hosted by my good friend, a brother, a mentor, James Donaldson. Yours truly, Mark Mancini, producing it. 347-205-9631. If you miss it, catch the archive on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Mancini Sports podcast platforms, wherever you subscribe to, powered by Mancini Media. So without further ado, more of him, less of me. Let me lay that red carpet down, put the podium in its place, hand off the mic. First of all, James, how are you? Second of all, how can people get a hold of you? Third of all, you're bringing another great guest through, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. Hey, one after another after another. Uh, We've been on a roll here, and I'm just really uh, honored to be able to work with you producing the show and all the great guests who've been coming on week after week. So thank you so much for that. Uh, you know, a little bit overcast day up here in Seattle, Washington, but it's, you know, it's Seattle. It's still beautiful in the Northwest. I love it up here. And people can get a hold of me at uh, jamesd at standingabovethecrowd.com. Shoot me a quick email. Just uh, let us know some of your thoughts about the show so far and about some guests that you hope to have come on board the show. Uh, we'll reach out to them and get them on as soon as we can. But uh, today, without any further ado, I have another great guest, uh, a good friend. I've known him for 20-plus years at least in the Seattle sports scene in Seattle, Uh, former host of a KGR sports radio talk show, and also author of two or three books now. We'll have him talk about his books as well. Uh, On board today is Mike Gassman Gastineau a Seattle iconic legend of the sports radio talk show scene here. Mike, good morning to you, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on board. Uh, you are one of the most knowledgeable people uh, in the area of sports that I know, and I am just glad to have you on board today. Say hello to our listening audience and to give a little introduction about yourself, if you would. Well, James, thanks very much. It's great to, to talk to you. You're one of my favorite people, uh, and uh, I got you know I got the chance to see you play, and then ultimately got the chance to cover you a little bit, and then got the chance to get to know you after you retired. So I feel uh, fortunate in that regard, and it's uh, uh, it's, it's fun to be here. Yeah, I've uh, I, I did a sports talk show here in Seattle from uh, 1991 until 2012 and uh, then left, and I've been a freelancer since then, and I've written uh, uh, actually five books, believe it or not. I, I, I can't believe it myself, uh, and I've enjoyed that, that part of, uh, of, of media. I love radio and loved doing this kind of thing, sitting and talking and throwing the bull. That's always fun, but there's something permanent about a book that's, that, that's really cool, you know, to to get finished and to, to look and say, okay, that, that, that didn't exist and now it exists and I'm the reason it did. And, uh, you know, I've enjoyed telling people stories that way uh, as well. So I, I feel, uh, feel fortunate to be uh, able to do these things and then to enjoy what I get to do. That, that's wonderful. Uh, where are you originally from Mike? And when did you come out here to the Northwest? So I'm from Indianapolis, uh, born and raised there and went to Indiana university uh, and I'm, I'm still wondering about that, that, that truck that hit us the other night in Portland with St. Mary's. My goodness, uh, what a great team that is. And uh, in Indiana, it's funny, three weeks ago I would not have thought Indiana would even make the tournament. So a great job by Mike Woodson of keeping that team focused and 
getting them to improve enough right at the end that they got in the tournament and beat Wyoming and uh, and then lose in the uh, in the round of 64. Uh, but I was uh, I left Indiana in 1982 and kind of traveled around the country working in various radio stations, and came to Seattle in 1991. Uh, as a producer, I, I had kind of an inside tip that the station was getting ready to go to a, a very new concept at the time. It was a very new concept, the idea of an all-sports talk radio station. Because only, only three or four of them existed in the country, and Seattle was getting ready to do that. And I, you know, I kind of thought, well, maybe if I can get in there, you know, some things might open up for me. And that's exactly what happened. And, uh, again, feel fortunate to, to have... Uh, to have gotten there right when I did, and, and to get to work with some really incredibly talented people as we, you know, figured this format out. We didn't have anything to go on. You know, there was no book that said, "Well, here's how you do this," because we were making it up as we went. You know, everybody was, and and you know, so you, those days you could you could get humbled real because it was easy to make a mistake, but it was also pretty exhilarating to to know that hey, this is you know this is something brand new we're creating here, and it's uh, it, it, there was a real you know that that part of it was really intriguing to me. Yeah, that's great, great. Hey, before we go too far into the show, I, I do want to pass on my condolences to a dear friend of yours and a colleague of mine as well over the years, John Clayton, uh, iconic uh, sports reporter, ESPN. I think he worked with you at KGR. You can talk a little bit about that. John Clayton passed away yesterday. Uh, did you work with him at KJR? And what is your relationship and your fond memories of him? He, I mean, John was there, you know, almost at the beginning with us. I, I can't remember the first time we had him on, but it was pretty early. Again, KJR went to an all-sports talk format in October of 1991. And I would bet that if not by then, shortly thereafter, somebody had John on a show. It was probably either Nancy Donnell on the Fabulous Sports Babe or Dave Grosby had them on, had John on. And we all realized right away, this guy is, is, you know, what you want in talk radio is personality. You know, you want information mm-hmm. too, but you want somebody who's entertaining. And John was quirky and, and, you know, almost, he was almost like a computer mind before computers even existed, you know, in the way they do now. You know, this is 1991 and John had knowledge of the entire NFL and encyclopedic knowledge and sources all over the league. And just was kind of an interesting guy, you know. He had an interesting look. He he had an interesting demeanor. His entire life revolved around covering the NFL. We used to tease him. I said, "Do you do anything outside?" And he he would say, "No, I really don't. This is all I do." And you, you know, I used to joke with him. I said, "You're the you're the greatest NFL reporter in history," and it came at the expense of having anything else in your life. And and that's a little bit of an overstatement. You know, John had a uh, you know wonderful wife named Pat, and they had a great marriage and and devoted to each other. And but but John you, John used to take vacation in the summer, and he'd come mm-hmm. on the radio with us. And so, why are you coming on the radio? You're on vacation. He goes, "Well, my vacation is I just go to the same hotel every year." in San Diego, and I sit next to the pool, and I've got my computer and my phone next to me, and I just keep working. And I go, well, John, that's not a vacation. That's, that's not even close to what he made. But But that was him. He had a work ethic and an obsession. And, you know, obsessions can be good and bad. In this case, it was good. John had an obsession with the NFL yeah. and, and in covering yeah. it. Uh, very unique guy. Uh, I, I kind of consider him, and there might be somebody I'm forgetting, but I consider him the original 
NFL information guy. You know, now every time you turn around, everybody's got the NFL insider and this guy and this guy. All of them owe a debt to John. John was the first one to kind of figure it out. and Or if it wasn't the first, he was among the first and the first to get national attention for it. And the idea that you covered your local team, but if you were really an NFL reporter, you covered the entire league because the country is fascinated with the National Football League. Uh, he was uh, he was as unique as anybody I ever worked with, and uh, I was really sorry to hear the news yesterday. Uh, I know he'd yeah, uh, yeah. he'd gone in the hospital I think Monday, and uh, and and had had some issue. I don't know what it was, and and you know we get the news yesterday that uh, that uh, he had died. It was uh, it was very shocking, and you, you know you, you get to a certain point in life where you got to start dealing with this kind of stuff. But there's also you know you just think you know, with your friends and with people you know, you think, well, I'm going to see that person again. I'll always see that person again. And, you know, I, I'm certainly never going to have that happen to me. And, it, um, you, you know, it, it, it's it's uh, sad. But, uh, boy, he, he, lived, uh, he lived quite a life. And you can see it today in social media, in, in the way people are reacting, the way everyone around the country is reacting to this. You know, John John touched a lot of people with uh, with his work. And, yeah, you know he um, again. The NFL is a huge deal in this country, and there was a stretch of time there where nobody knew it better, backwards and forwards, than uh, than John Clayton. Yeah, I, I so agree, and uh, I saw your outpouring of love and support for him yesterday on Facebook as well. Uh, and they called him the professor. Uh, he had that professor prof, uh, professor look to him with the glasses and the clean cut and. You know, he just knew so much about the game. What a wealth of wisdom. We're going to miss him on this sports scene. Uh, you're right. You know, we we, we know that one day, inevitably, it's going to come. We're going yeah. to lose people along the way, but you're never quite ready for it. Never quite ready for it. So, uh, hey, I got, a, I got a question from one of our listeners, Chris from Clearwater, Florida. He's asking, hey, guys, how tough it is, how tough is it to write a book? I think it's hmm. fascinating. Uh, Gas, you've written five books, I, 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 I gather, and can you tell us a little bit about the titles of the books, the subjects, and what motivated you to write those books? Well, I, I'd always liked writing, I mean, from the time I was young. It, 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 it's funny, I didn't like studying in high school or college, but I loved to write. I loved to sit around and write stuff. And, and so it was kind of a natural thing for me. I, I, I got lucky. I, I had Hunter for a publishing firm in Philadelphia called me in 2007 probably and said listen we're doing um <clears throat> we're doing these history books of sports in various communities and it's anecdotal it's <clears throat> it's easy writing it's it's fun and it's it's called the you know the great book of in this case the great book of Seattle sports lists and you basically told the history of a of a city by listing things. Who are the 10 greatest basketball players that came from your city? Who are the 10 greatest baseball players? What, what's the 10 funniest things that ever happened? You know, that kind of stuff. And I, um, you know, I, I looked at it and I said to the guy, can I bring somebody in to help me? Because I'm, I, I, I'd love to do this, but I, I realized right away I was out over my skis a little bit. And so I, I, I got a hold of Art Teal, the columnist at the time for the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, and I knew Art would be a guy who could really help focus me and add a lot of depth to this project. And Art agreed, and then he brought in uh, his friend, my friend too, Steve Rudman, who also had been a newspaper writer up here, and was a little bit like a, uh, another version of John Clayton, just had an encyclopedic mind about sports, and particularly Seattle sports and history and numbers and all that stuff. 
So the three of us, I always joke, it wasn't our best business decision because we now took every dollar we made from this project. We had to divide it three ways. But bringing Steve and Art in um, really made the project work. I mean, I, I could have done it on my own. It wouldn't have been very good. With those two, we put out a book that we're all real proud of. came out in 2009 and, uh, and, and still serves as a real you know, a, a, a great piece of, of, of coverage of Seattle sports history. But the first thing I realized when it came out is when you write a book like that, it, it becomes obsolete almost the day it's released because things keep happening. And, and there's something mm-hmm. that like, well, geez, we should have put that in the book. We, we, if we'd known this was going to happen, we'd have put that in the book. So I started thinking from a different perspective. And then I also wanted to do something on my own. So the next thing that hit me was in 2012 when I left KJR, uh, I, I just had kind of an epiphany one night. It hit me that the Seattle Sounders, the soccer club in Major League Soccer, they had had this amazing launch. They, they, it was the most, by far the most successful expansion sports franchise launch in North American sports history. And there's no reason to argue mm. with me because, trust me, I've done all the research. No other team came into a league the way they did in terms of attendance, wow. in terms of success, in terms of integrating into the community, all of that stuff. And I thought, you know what? I know everybody involved in this story. I know Adrian Hanauer, the uh, uh, the, the owner. I know Todd Lywicki of the Seahawks, who's become very involved. Uh, I, I, I knew Casey Keller, who was their goalkeeper and their first big superstar and a, and a legend in Seattle sports. So I started thinking, you know, I bet, I bet this story would be really interesting. And I, I started talking to the guys and, and realized there was something there. So about a year later, that book came out. It was called Sounders FC, Authentic Masterpiece. And and what I liked about it is, A, I was really proud of the book. Fans loved it. Uh, the so- soccer fans were so generous with their praise and with purchasing the book, and that meant so much to me. And it really did tell, I think, a, a unique story that any any sports franchise, any business owner, anybody doing anything could read this and go, okay, here are some things I can do. It was applicable to everybody. And because it wasn't a list book, it didn't go obsolete right away. It's still, I mean, we still sell copies of that to this day, and it's still a book that, that matters to people, I think. Uh, and from that, I've, I've done two more books, and I'll, I'll wrap this up. Geez, I'm, I'm talking forever about these things. But um, I did a book okay. in 2018 called Mr. Townsend and the Polish Prince. And it's about a guy named Nelson Townsend and a guy named Joe Przycki. Nelson was the athletic director at Delaware State College in 1981. His football team was in complete disarray. He needed a new coach, and he hired a guy named Joe Przycki. And Joe had all the qualifications of a coach, everything you'd want in a guy. He had one problem. He was white, and Delaware State College was a historically black college and university. No white guy had ever been a head football coach at an all-black college. And, and, and it wasn't an all-black college. HBCUs have always admitted anybody. You know, they, they were started because, because African-American students couldn't get into other colleges. But they, from the start, said, look, we'll admit anybody. We're, we're not going to be that way. But there was a lot of pushback to Joe's hiring. And the book tells the story of how Nelson really became a mentor to Joe. Because Nelson and Joe, neither one of them thought this was going to be a big deal. Nelson wasn't trying to prove some point. He didn't think that this was some big trailblazing effort. He just thought Joe would be a good football coach. They get into it and realize right away the students react by, you know, they rioted on campus. 17 players quit. Somebody threw a brick through Joe's office window. And it was really a bad scene. And Nelson realized, I'm going to have to be a mentor. And Joe accepted that mentorship. And they turned the program around and built it into a very successful program. And 
that story I'm, I'm real proud of getting to tell. Joe's a terrific guy, and Nelson was wow. a terrific guy, and, and just their relationship and, and how they built trust with the team and how Joe learned that, you know, Joe was a guy who was very open-minded and, 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 and thought of himself as, hey, this won't be a big deal, and he learned, no, it is a big deal, and I've got to learn more about how I deal with young black players and, uh, and, and, and people on the faculty and all that, and Joe's willingness to a- accept what he was being taught is a big part of the story, and that mm. book we're in the process of developing into a movie. Uh, we've got Wonderful. money behind it. We've got a script done, and we're, we're, we're to the stage now of kind of shopping it around a little bit. Uh, and then finally, last year, uh, published a book uh, 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 called Fear No Man, and it's about a team you and I are familiar with. You may this might not be your favorite team of all time since you're a Washington State Coug, but it's a book about the 1991 Washington Huskies football team, national championship team, and 30 years oh, yeah. later, their memories of that and and their thoughts of that, and and the great Don James and and yeah. you know how they how they did what they did. I, I thought they were the most in in terms of just watching with my own eyes, they were the most dominant team I ever saw in any sport. I mean, they were really, really something. And it was fun to go back and relive that time with, uh, with the guys. So there were a lot of really good guys on that team that were media friendly and loved to tell stories. And, and uh, so that book came out uh, last year and, and that's where we're at. And I'm, I'm starting some work now on a book about the nineties era supersonics. So how's that for oh. a long answer to a question? I like that. Thank you. Thank you. That's wonderful. <laughs> I remember those University of Washington Husky teams back in 91 very, very well. A lot of my friends are Huskies. I'm a Cougar, but that's okay. And uh, where where can people go to get a copy of your book if you want to give out a place they can go to and, um, and order from you? You know, most most bookstores can probably order it. And, and truthfully, the easiest way is probably just going through Amazon. Uh, University Bookstore here in Seattle carries the books, uh, but Amazon's got all of them on there, and uh, and you can get more information on them. and uh, And I appreciate any consideration for it. it. It it's fun. Like I said, you know, writing these stories has has really been an enjoyable thing for me, and and uh, they're they're um, they're they're in- interesting, and I think involve really good and important people, and it, it's fun to tell those stories. Yeah, well, you're a great storyteller, so that's wonderful. Uh, now you've got a, you're hosting a podcast currently called Iconic Sonics, I believe the name of it is, the Seattle Supersonics. Uh, have you made the rounds and contacted most of the old Sonics? And uh, is this what you're writing your newest, latest book on, the Iconic Sonics? Well, I, I, what I want to write about with the with the new one, and I'm still organizing it in my head. And, and the original question from Clearwater, Florida, was you know you know how hard is it or what's it like. Writing a book is kind of like climbing a mountain. I mean, once you've done it, you can do it again, but you have to take the first few steps and go, geez, do I really want to climb this thing? Do I want to spend the next year and a half of my life obsessing over every detail of this story? And and, and that's the biggest thing is getting going and, and, and pushing yourself and, and kind of fighting off the demons. I like to joke with people, James, that when you're – and you know this. You've written a book. When, when, when you're writing a book, you, you, you finish up – I mean, at least for me – I would finish up work some days, and I, I would have spent eight hours writing. And I would sit back, and I'd look at what I wrote, and I'd go, God, I wonder how many yachts I'm going to be able to buy with all the money I'm going to make from this book. And then the very next day, you'd put in the same amount of work and the same amount of writing, and I'd sit back and go, 
who is going to be interested in reading this drivel? <laughs> Nobody's going to want to read. <laughs> See, you, you really fight the voices in your head uh, as you go through the process of, of trying to say, yeah, this is going to be relevant. Yeah, you're good at what you do. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and it, there's a lot of self-doubt that you have to overcome as you're writing because there, there is, there's that little voice in the back of your head going, nobody cares, pal. Nobody cares. And, yeah. and, and yeah. that's your job as a writer is to make them care. Uh, and and that's, that's the biggest battle. Uh, that you fight. I- Iconic Sonics and the idea of a Sonics book kind of started separately, but at the same time. I want to do a book on the 90s era Sonics and, and just how great they were without winning a championship and also how uh, the-, the intersection of basketball and culture in the city of Seattle in the 90s. You know, Seattle was such a special place during that time. There was so much coming out of here in terms of business and culture and music and entertainment and movies were set here and so many bands came out of here, and, and it all kind of intersected at Key Arena often uh, to watch the Sonics play. So that's that mm-hmm. thing. Iconic Sonics, uh, it was started by a company in Denver called uh, Truth Plus Media, and it's uh, owned and operated by our mutual friend George Carl. Uh, and, ah. and George George uh, is very into podcasting, very into storytelling and all that. And, and our goal with Iconic Sonics, and I think his goal – is to make sure we're keeping the stories out there and, and keeping the colors out there and keeping the legends out there so that, you know, when the team returns, and I do believe now with the new arena that the team will be coming back, that, that people know these stories and that there's an easy place to go access them and, and people can hear about Lenny Wilkins and about James Donaldson and about Detlef Shrimp and about Derek McKee and George and Bob Whitson and all of these people... Mm-hmm that contributed so much to our community, you, you know, they left in 2008. You know, we're 14 years now into not having a team up here. I, and it's going to be another couple. I mean, they're not coming back next year. It's going to be, I think, three or four years. And, and there's nothing, you know, for certain about that other than it feels like the NBA wants to expand. And certainly they'll come here when they do. But the main mm-hmm. purpose of that podcast has been just to keep – those memories out there and alive because we, you know, we think it's important and, and it's fun. You know, it's fun sitting and talking yeah. with old friends and, and you know how it goes, James, you're a much more interesting guy to talk to now than you were as a player. Cause as a player, you're guarded guys are you know, They're going to be careful around the media. They don't want to say anything that's been yeah. now as, as you, as you become somebody who didn't play for many years, you're more willing to tell a story and more willing to laugh at maybe your own, you know, failures or your own problems. And and it just it, it's interesting. I mean, the, the best example of that I, I I tease him now. Whenever I see him, I call him Grandpa Gary. Gary Payton was the toughest guy ever to interview when he was a player. Now he's just the most delightful guy to sit around and talk to, and he's fun and laughs and 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 as tough a competitor as I ever saw in any sport. I mean, he was so so tough. And and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. so it, it's fun now when you can talk to guys and there's not the pressure of the day to day. Hey, you lost last night. Why did you lose last night? How come you're not hitting your shots? You know, mm-hmm. all, all that stuff kind of goes away. So it's um, that 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 that's yeah. been a, a real fun project for me. That that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, I, and I think also after we retire from the game, uh, we start picking up some life experiences as well. You know, our kids are growing up. They're getting into sports. They're trying to follow into our footsteps sometimes. We've got a lot to talk about. You know, we might have gone into business or different things that worked out really well in the community. So I think that's why guys become more interesting also to talk to. And plus, they are less guarded. They let their hair down a little bit. We 
we tell the old fish stories, you know, the, the story gets grander and grander and grander. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have to go back yeah. and check the actual statistics, you know, but uh, that, that's so good. Hey, you, you touched on a little bit about possibly the Sonics coming back. Uh, you know, here we are. We're waiting for 14 years now. There's a little whisper every now and then from the NBA about expansion, a couple teams. And uh, so have you heard much? Uh, is there much momentum, anything gathering yet, or is it still a little too early to tell? Uh, I think uh, kind of yes to all of that. Uh, what I would say is um, all along, once David Stern left the NBA, uh, you know, the, the, the political – wall that had been built. David Stern got mad at the politicians out here and got mad at how he was treated. And he had an awful lot to do with what happened next, which was Howard Schultz selling the team to an Oklahoma group and they moved it to Oklahoma City. Uh, and, and everyone, everyone except for David Stern said, this is really wrong. This is wrong the way Seattle's being treated here. Uh, and it all revolved around Stern or uh, Schultz wanted a new arena, and they had just built Key Arena. It was eight years old, like, you know, maybe yes. eventually, but you're yep. going to have to get in line. It's going to take a while, and and they they couldn't get to that. So anyway, once David Stern left the NBA and Adam Silver stepped in, you know, the people I know who know Adam Silver say that that almost from the start he has said, you know, we we you know privately he has said we we want to get a team back into Seattle. That's it's a good market. We yeah. want to be in there. They've got a great history. But the league also isn't going to just expand for the heck of it. You know, you need everything to kind of line up. Your TV deal, the economy has to be good. Um, you know, I think the pandemic there's two things that happened that I think really changed the idea that that this would be a thing. A building of Climate Pledge Arena, the new arena that was built for the NHL team, and it was built by OVG, and the people behind the arena have said, we want an NBA team. There's no question we're going to get an NBA team. They're very excited about it. So there's a facility now. That that was an issue. At this point now, you needed a facility that would that could house an NBA team. You've got that. The other thing that may lead towards expansion is the pandemic you know, hit hit NBA owners the same way it hit all of us. I mean, they, they lost some money along the way, and I don't think any of them are going to go under. But, uh, you know, here's a way for them to recoup a lot of their money. You know, I, I've heard anywhere from $3 billion to $6 billion per franchise is what the expansion wow. fee is going to be. And the belief wow. is that they would add two teams – both in the western half of the country because it would balance the league a little bit, and the two cities are Seattle and Las Vegas. Some people yeah, say it might yeah. happen in Mexico City. Some people still bring in Vancouver. We'll, we'll see, but Seattle is in every conversation there. So, you know, the, now the league has not said anything about, oh, yeah, here it comes, we're getting ready to do it. But I, I just I, I think that, that that day is coming, and it's coming sooner rather than later where the league says, yeah, we want to expand – we want to bring in that big expansion fee to kind of recoup some of our losses from COVID. And, and the timing is kind of right, and it allows the league to to right what everybody considers was a bad move, which was leaving Seattle mm-hmm. in the first place. After 42 years, they left Seattle. Yeah. And we, as you know, we have a, a rabid, active Sonic base of fans here that save our Sonics, bring back our Sonics. You know, uh, all those groups are still here. And just waiting and waiting for the day the Sonics come back. Uh, personally, I think it's three to five years out, uh, but we will see. I hope it's sooner than later. 
And I think it'd be a great, great day for Seattle once, once the NBA comes back. Seattle's been blessed by a plethora of great sporting teams. So you look at the Seattle Storm, the Sounders, the Seahawks, the Mariners, the, the new NHL Kraken. I mean, three of those teams have already won world championships, and the Mariners were right on the verge of winning a championship that one year, a couple of years. Uh, so we have great, great sports and sports fans here. Uh, the only thing missing out of that whole little ring of uh, great teams is an NBA franchise again. So I'm pulling for it. I'm hoping for it. Uh, let's wrap up in the next minute and a half, Mike, with what is life like now, now that you've moved on from KGR Sports Radio? Uh, you're writing books. You're kind of in semi-retirement, I thought, but you're still working as hard as ever. What, what's life like now for the gas man? Where I've just been blessed is I've got a great wife, 30 years this year with Renee, and, I mean, that's so important, you know, for for any of us. Uh, She, you know, when I wanted to leave radio in 2012, and I said, I'm kind of tired of this and I want to try something else, she was incredibly supportive and remains so. Um, I have the great fortune right now of just being in a position where I can pick and choose the things I want to do. That there's nothing I do that I feel like I have to do. It's it's all things that I want to do, and and the luck and fortune of that is never lost on me. So that's how life is now. I get up. Uh, my wife works full time. You know, somebody has to get the health care for the family, so she works full time. So the other thing I do, and I'll tell you, I'm pretty good at it, Mr. Donaldson. I'm a house husband. I take care of a lot of the stuff around the house. I do a lot of the cooking. I do a lot of the shopping. I'm I'm pretty darn good at this. You ought to see me jockeying for position at the grocery store. Um, I, and I and I enjoy that, you know. For for a lot of years, a lot of that burden fell on Renee when I was working full time, and she was more of a freelancer. Uh, so it's 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 fun to pick up that part of the of the relationship and and to get to do what I want and to get to visit with people and 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 think about legacy projects as opposed to okay I got to talk about what's happening in sports right today you know I got to do this I got to instead think okay well, how, what could I write that's of historic significance that would give people something to look back on and go hey it's a neat story I'm glad somebody wrote a book about it so it's uh, I'm I'm very lucky very very lucky wow that's fantastic well. Well, everybody out there in listening land, uh, that is a wrap for today. These 30-minute segments go by so fast. I want to thank our guest, Mike Gasman Gastineau, for coming on board today. And this is James Donaldson, Standing Above the Crowd podcast, and bringing it to you live every single Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Check us out and keep it coming. Thank you so much, Mike. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, James. It was great. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Al. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right.